Tonight we're beginning a new series, and we're going to be talking about the parables of Jesus. So Jesus, the storyteller. And the parable we'll go through tonight is the parable of the rich fool. So this parable felt relevant to me because one of my biggest struggles in life, especially right now, is financial security. Like I idolize financial security. Like I just want to be in the surplus. I just don't want to have problems with money. I want to be able to pay every bill and I want to buy what I want to buy. And I'm starting to realize that that might not be the case. But um, I felt like the best way for me to really learn what God has to say about these things is to study a passage that talks exactly about it. So uh, let's just jump into that. So up on the slide, we'll have the scripture. Uh, this is Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to defy, divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So for context, this is Jesus talking to somebody who interrupts him as he's talking to a larger group of people. So right before this, Jesus is talking about the value of choosing God over man. And he's talking about the value of, of standing strong in your faith when you're met with opposition from other people or from whatever it might be. Um, and this guy just kind of raises his hand, shouts out, and interrupts Jesus about a financial dispute that he's having with his brother. So back in these times, uh, they would split the inheritance. The older brother would get two-thirds. The younger brother would get one-third. So the younger brother is there, and he's saying, hey, Jesus, can you, like, fix this? Can I get a half-and-half half share? Like, let's make this fair, right? And I can't imagine what Jesus is probably thinking there. Um, I know what I would be thinking. I'd be like, did, did you just show up, or did you hear what we just talked about, like the value of God, and then you come in and you're worried about money? So, I just, I don't know how he could jump in and be like, well, I need to talk about this. Like, I need you to answer this. Can you fix this for me? And it's something of a financial dispute. But as I start to think about it more and more, I think that's us, right? We are that guy that says, hey, Jesus, can you fix this for me? It's an inconvenience. Or, hey, Jesus, can you do this for me? Because I, I really need it. And... I even find myself, I have to check my heart, um, where I'll be praying like, God, just give me this job for your glory. But then I really analyze my heart and I'm like, I just want this job because it's a pay raise, right? I just want this job because it's easier for me or it's closer to home or whatever. And I kind of, I mean, I lie to myself sometimes of like, do I really want this for God's glory or am I just doing it so that Jesus can do something for me and help me out, make my life easier? 
And I, th- I think that's what we do a lot of times. We just seek this, like, just worldly glory or worldly possession where it's just something exciting for us. It's something that it's like, yes, I got this, or I got this money, or now I have this job. Uh, I, I even think, like, when I go out and I buy a new outfit, or really, Allison buys me a new outfit, and I'm, like, excited. I'm like, oh, man, this looks awesome. And then a month later, it, it kind of, like, wears off. You know, you hang it up in your closet, and you're like, oh, that outfit looked good, but, like, I'll probably wear it another day, right? Or even shoes. Like, when I buy a new pair of shoes, I'm addicted to buying shoes. It's bad. So I'll go out and be like, those shoes are sweet. Like, I want those. These shoes are not nice. These are, like, my older teaching shoes. But I go out, and I'm like, man, I really want a pair of shoes. And it's like this obsession. I, I get, like, excited, too excited for it. It's like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And I think that's a little bit of what's happening here with this guy who's interrupting Jesus. He's like, man, I'm really excited. Like, I need you to fix this for me. I know you can fix it. Or I just really want my share of the money. I'm excited about it. Like, I want that money. Or even we, sometimes we, we covet, like, these lifestyles. So there's this desire to live a certain way or be a certain somebody. And um, I see it sometimes, Allison will watch these YouTube videos of these people and they have four kids and they live in the ranch house and we document everything we do and we have millions of viewers and it's awesome. And it's like, we want that lifestyle. Like we, we covet that lifestyle, we want it. And I, just, I think that's what's going on with this guy who's interrupting Jesus. And it's just, it boils down to this fact that we love stuff. Like, whatever that stuff is for you, like, we love wealth, we love cars, we love houses, we love having the right amount of kids. Like, we even love the way we portray ourselves on social media. It's like, man, look at my social media, like, all the pictures are color organized, and they're in this caption, and they all connect, and it's sweet. Heck, even when we go to Myers, when I see this, there's a have you ever had popcorners? Anyone have popcorners? If you know, if you don't know what they are, you got to get them because they're fantastic. But it's embarrassing because my heart jumps a little too much when I see that stupid little bag of chips. But it's just we love stuff. It's like, man, I want that. I want it right now. God fixed my financial situation right now. That's what that guy's saying. But there's a problem with that. There's a big problem with that. And this is called something in the Bible, and I'm going to say it wrong because I cannot say this word correct. So I'll say it like two or three times tonight, and just you can laugh at me. But it's covetousness. I don't know how to say it right. I think that's right. But it's the love and excessive desire for wealth and possessions. And I think we all have it. I think we all have this desire for some sort of possession in your life. Whatever that is. Is it a lifestyle? Is it a five-year plan? Like, this five-year plan has to happen. I need it to happen. Is it, uh, I need this job because I need 10 more grand a year. Whatever it might be for you, we all struggle with it. And God has something to say about that in this passage. So, this is what he warns us about in verse 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. God warns us about it. He says, hey, you have this. It's not like, 
avoid it because you can. It's like be on guard for it because it's coming. There's going to be times where you just want something. You want a possession, you want a house, you want a car, and you want it just because you want it. I mean, listen, listen to the rest of this parable and see if it, if it resonates at all with life today. So here's the rest of the parable. And he, and he told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And then I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, I might ask you that, does that sound familiar? And you'd be like, I'm not a farmer. I don't have a barn. That's, I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't matter to me. But I think it's a lot more relevant than what you think it is. And I'm going to make a little connection here. And so there's a lot of parts up here, but we're going to just talk through it. So on the left-hand side, this is what we say. This is what our hearts say. This is what we do. And on the right side is the scripture in this parable. So we all go throughout life and it's like, I'll work hard. I'll work hard for school. I'll work hard for my degree. I'll work hard for my job. I'll work hard to become the boss. I'll work, whatever it is, I'll work hard. And in the scripture, I see that in him saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So the land produces, but the man's got to go out there and get it, right? He can't just have the crops like, ah, they'll get themselves. They'll put them in the barn for me. That's not how that works, right? He's got to go out and he's got to work. So he's working hard. And when we work hard, we think, hey, I'm going to make good money. And I should make good money, right? That's my rightful ownership. I should be making good money. And where I see that in the scripture is he says, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So this guy had a ton of crops. He had enough to where it wouldn't fit in his original barn. So he has money. If you have crops in that time, you have money because you're selling your crops. You're giving them, you're selling them for whatever they're worth. And he has so much that they don't fit in the barn that he has anymore. Next, after we make good money, we say, I'll buy what I want to buy because it's my money. Like it's my money, I'll do with whatever I want to do with it. And I see that where he says, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my green and my goods. He said, well, I got all these goods. I got all this crop. I'll just tear down the barns I have and I'll build new ones. I have money to do it. Why not? I'll make more money because my barns will be bigger and I'll be able to sell more. I'll work hard. I'll make good money. And I'll do what I want with that money. I'll buy what I want. And at the end of it, at the end of my 40 years, I'll retire, celebrate work and possessions I've built up. I'll retire, right? And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Sound a little more familiar? That's the American dream, right? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to get to a spot where I can make really good money. I can buy what I want. And then when my 40 years are done, I'm going to retire, sit on my butt, and play golf. Right? 
It's the American dream laid out in a parable. But there's a problem with this American dream. This is Jesus' response. Fool. You fool. We're all fools. I do the same thing. I work hard. I say, man, I, I deserve this money. I deserve a pay raise. I deserve to be able to afford whatever I want. I'm a fool. Here's the rest of what he says. Verse 20, he said, And I will say to you, to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The things you have prepared, whose will they be? Think about that. That house that car, that retirement, whatever, your money, whose will it be when you're gone? Your soul's required of you, whose is it going to be? Here's the hard truth, and I'm trying to get better at this truth, but your possessions, your money, your house, your car, your fill-in-the-blank will burn up eventually. Right? The next generation will spend your money. Somebody will sell your house. Someone will get rid of your car. Someone will get rid of your possessions. When you're not here, you're lucky if it lasts a couple of years. But I build up 40 years of work for all this house and this money. It burns up. It's gone. Someone's going to sell it. Someone's going to use the money for something else. And then they go into their 40-year plan of, well, I have all this money and I can invest and I'll make more money. And then, oh, wait. My soul is required of me. It's over. Now what? It burns up. It goes to somebody else and somebody else uses it or wastes it. So what does Jesus have to say about this? Here's exactly what he says. It's up on screen already. He says, you need to be on guard against all covetousness. You have to be. Because that's our natural desire. Our natural desire is to say, I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to build up what I want. I'm going to get what I want. Here's my house. Here's my car. Here are my kids. They have everything they want. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's the American dream, right? That's what everybody talks about. That's what people want to do. But what does Jesus say? He says, be on guard against exactly that. Now, I'm not saying don't have possessions. I'm not saying you should live in the middle of the street in a box. That's not what I'm saying. That's crazy. But what I am saying is you cannot love that life. You can't love a life of, well, I'll get the next possession. I'll get the next house. I'll get the bigger house. I'll get the more money. I'll get the better job. It's not fulfilling. There's a reason that Jesus says this. There's a reason he says be on guard against this because it's deadly. Here's the truth that I've been trying to wrestle with as I'm studying this, and I think it's true. Just like your possessions, if you love your possessions and you live your life for your possessions, you'll end up just like them. You're going to burn up. What's your life going to be? 
you invest into all these possessions that are eventually going to be nothing. And your impact will be nothing. hundred years from now, they'll say, I don't know who that is. I don't know what they did. It's a sad and it's a hard truth, but it is truth. And so I think Jesus is really clear on the things that we need to do. And the other one is this. And it sounds like, well, that sounds like the wrong thing, but we'll walk through it. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So there he's talking about the person who loves their possessions and lives their life for their possessions. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. He will burn up, she will burn up with the possessions that she loves. He or she loves. But that end part, that's the part that we need to strive for. We have to be rich towards God. Being rich in this life, like we've already talked about, is meaningless. It may be meaningful for 10 years, 20 years. But when this is all said and done, do you want to have an, inter- an eternal impact? A lasting impact for the rest of time? Or do you want to have a worldly impact? Because it'll all end, right? As I was studying this, I, f- I found a quote that I really like. Uh, it'll come up. And it's a quote about the, the brothers who are having this dispute that we talked about at the beginning. And I think this quote means the world, if you really can and take it in. So if each of them, the brothers, learned the real meaning of life and sought as its chief endeavor to be rich towards God, the question of possession would settle itself. The one who would be eager to share, while the other would be careless about receiving. Ideally, we would get to this point where I have these awesome possessions, but if someone needs them, they can take it. Even further than that, I want to give you what you need. And on the flip side of that, when we want something and we desire something, we say, man, I want a new pair of shoes or I want a new outfit. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but you hopefully get to a point where you're like, I don't actually need it. Do I need it? I don't actually need it. I think that's what it's talking about. It says one would be eager to share. We're eager to, hey, do you need money? Do you need food? Do you need shelter? Like here, let me provide for you. Let me bear this burden with you. On the other side of that is when you're just, you're careless about receiving. It's like, I appreciate that gift, but I didn't need it. I love it, but I did not need it. And you start to understand your needs versus your wants. So if we could continually take on that mindset and desire, I think we could find a way to have a lifelong, lasting impact into eternity rather than just a worldly impact. Because that's what God wants for our life. God wants for us to be rich towards him. That's what his word says. Be rich towards God. He wants us to live a life to where I care more about eternity than I care about my bank account. Or I care more about eternity than I care about me getting what I want. I mean, that's a hard, hard thing to wrestle with. I mean, I reflect on my own life. My whole life has been building up so that I could get a big boy job. 
and now I have it, and it's like, cool. And then it's like, well, what do I want next? And it's this ongoing cycle until you run out of time, just like our guy in the parable. You fool, your soul is required of you. And when it boils down to it, I think, to bring a little more joy to this, I think there's two things that we really need to focus on. And we can live a life that has an eternal impact. Those two things are to guard yourself against covetousness. So don't worry about possessions. Stop worrying so much about what you look like on social media. Stop worrying about so much what your five-year plan is or Am I going to have enough to afford this house? Am I going to have enough to live the life I want to live? And the second is to be rich toward God. So the first one almost leads into the second. It's like I'm going to worry less about possessions and I'm going to worry more about what does God want me to do. So kind of back to me, like I have this big boy job, but now like what does God want me to do with it? Rather than, well, I can use my job to build up all my possessions and build up the salary that I want and build up, fill in the blank, whatever your desire is. So if we can be rich toward God, I think we can step into an impact that is so much better. So let me paint a picture, and this picture has been just playing in my mind, and I think if we choose to be rich towards God, I, I think this picture is a reality. So being rich towards God, our goal in this life is to love God and love other people and share his gospel. Share the message of Jesus Christ as your savior. And I want you to think about this. I want you to think about getting to heaven and you're in heaven and you look across and you see somebody that maybe you barely even know him, or maybe you really know him. And he said, oh man, I went out of my way like God just put on my heart and I shared the message of Jesus with them. And you look across and you see them just worshiping God. That impact is a hundred thousand million, I don't have a number big enough, I'm a math teacher, don't have a big enough number. Better than having a nice house. Right? I want you to think about that kid that you sit next to at your 8 a.m. class that like, just doesn't know about Jesus. Or that person that you sit next to, or they're in the next cubicle next to you, or, or you walk past them every day at work, and they don't know Jesus. Picture that person, and you tell them about Jesus, and then when this is all said and done, you get to heaven, and you look across the way, and he's singing worship. That's incredible. That's the impact that God wants us to have. In the long run, these things, they burn up. House, car, money, whatever. That will never burn up. That person in heaven worshiping with you will be there for eternity. That's incredible. And my hope is that, again, I'm number one struggler with this right now. I want financial security. I want to be able to do the things that we want to do. I want to make enough that Allison can be a stay-at-home mom. I want those things. I want possessions. I want a big enough house for 100 kids, whatever it happens. But I want those things, 
but I have to remember in my mind, those things are good, but God might have a totally different route. That's okay. I want that route. I love my plans, but I have to get to a point where I'm allowing God to wreck them. And he wants me to go that way, I got to go that way. Because I want an eternal impact. I want to be worshiping with a group of people that I know, not just one or two. I want to see my parents there. I want to see my brother there. I want to see my sisters there. That's awesome. To stand in a big huddle with your family and worship for eternity, that means more than any stupid house or car I could buy. So what I want to do is I want to pray for us collectively to do this. So let's pray together. Father, I am number one on the list of being a coveter. I, I covet, I love possessions, I love money, I love it all, and I need you. I need you to help me out of that. I need you to be there to guide my heart, to guide my ways, so that I can see you and take that path. That I would allow you to wreck my plans. And Lord, I pray that for every person in this group every person in this room, every person in the world, ideally, that we would start to just look to you and say, I want eternal impact. I don't want worldly impact. And sure, we can have both, but one definitely outweighs the other, Lord. Help us to be people that have eternal impacts in this world. Father, we love you so much, and we trust that you will help us, and we already praise you for the change that you'll make in our lives. Thank you for all that you do, and thank you for next and the ministry that you have made it into. We love you, Lord. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.